in Palm Sunday, if you don't know, if you're not familiar with Palm Sunday, this is the, the day that we commemorate and celebrate Jesus coming into Jerusalem, uh, riding on the donkey, and they put palm branches down for him to ride on, and, and uh, that's why we call this Palm Sunday, and they were singing Hosanna, and they were shouting his praises, and then a week later, they crucified him. And uh, we're actually thankful for that tragedy of the cross, because it brought us salvation, thank the Lord. And uh, so we're celebrating that today, and as Jessica said, we are finishing our remarkable series, we're calling it, where we've been looking at the book of Mark, and uh, my text verse is out of Mark this morning, and uh, the next week, obviously, we will culminate with the preaching of the, or the, the presentation of the gospel, and, uh, and all that goes with that, so. Uh, so, as I read my text verse this morning, I'm gonna ask you to stand with me, just in honor of reading God's word together. We are in Mark 15, if you don't have your Bibles, uh, it'll be on the screen behind me as well. This is when Jesus was already on the cross. So we're getting a little ahead of Easter today. We're already uh, have him on the cross this morning. And uh, the, the passage that I'm reading is starting in verse 29. It says, those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, so you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The title of my message today is A Crisis of Faith. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your presence in this building. Lord, we know that it is only your presence that changes us. It is your word and your presence making that word real in our hearts that's gonna do a work in us. So would you do that work in these next few minutes, God? Transform us, make us more like your son. That's our cry today, Lord. Stir our hearts today, God. Where we have been lukewarm, Lord, would you heat us up? And God, where we have rejected you, Lord, would you bring us back? And Father, I pray that you would do a powerful work in all of our hearts today. And we pray for the kids over in the kids department right now that are also hearing the word of God. Lord, do your work in their hearts too. That We are never too young to understand the truth of the gospel and who you are. So I pray you would anoint them as they lead the kids as well. And that you bless this time together for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Praise God. So I titled this message, A Crisis of Faith. Um, I'm sure most of you in this room and listening online probably are familiar with what that term means. It, uh, but in case you aren't, let me just briefly explain it. It's, it's when a painful situation comes into your life that's uncomfortable and unpleasurable and uh, causes you to maybe uh, doubt or, or struggle with some unbelief towards God or maybe even just feeling disconnected from God himself. Uh, I'm sure all of us have experienced a crisis of faith in our life. Some of you are probably going through one right now. Uh, and some of you may have just come through one, but maybe you live in fear that you're going to have another one soon. I can tell you don't have to live in fear of these crises that come into our life. Uh, it's something that God brings us into and through victoriously as we trust him and as we allow him to do that. Uh, some would say that Jesus was experiencing a little crisis of faith on the cross when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, the crisis that he went through is not the same thing we go through. Ours is a perception of God uh, abandoning us or turning his back on us when we know that that's actually not true because we know what his word says. As Pastor Josh was saying a few minutes ago, that he will never leave us, 
never forsake us. But Jesus having this little bit of a crisis here was actually the fact that God actually had abandoned him. The Father had abandoned him in that moment. The, the scriptures teach us that, that, uh, that Jesus, even though he knew no sin, became sin for us. That literally, God put the sin of the world on him. And the, my text says that it went dark from noon until three o'clock. Everybody knows it's not supposed to be dark at noon. That's when the sun is the highest and the brightest. Yet it went dark because the sin of the world was being put on Jesus to be paid for so that you and I could have forgiveness for our sins. And it's a beautiful thing, but it was also a very dark thing. And in that moment when the sin of the world was placed on him, proverbially, the father turned his back on Jesus because of the sin that was put on us, on him. And that's when Jesus says, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was having a crisis of faith in that moment. He didn't doubt who he was. He was God incarnate, so he didn't doubt that he was who he said he was because that's who he's always been. John 1 is very clear that Jesus has always been. It wasn't just when he was born 2,000 years ago. He always existed with the Father and with the Spirit. So it wasn't like he was doubting. So it's not the same kind of crisis of faith that we would have, but there was obviously something happening here. And I believe there's some principles that we can see in this that we can apply to our lives as well. And I hope to challenge you and encourage you with that today. Um, if you do feel like you're going through a crisis of faith or you're, you've gone through one, you're in good company. Uh, in fact, I will go as far as to say that I believe everybody that loves Jesus and wants to live their life for him and is de dedicated to giving their life to him is going to go through multiple crises of faith in your life. You're in good company. You see it all through the scriptures where they're more comparable to the ones we go through, not the one that Jesus went through on the cross. But you look at Abraham, and God told Abraham, you're gonna have a child and it's going to be, you're gonna be the father of a nation. And Abraham, in his lack of faith in the moment, slept with his maidservant to have a child because his wife was too uh, unyoung. I don't wanna say old. <laughs> she was too unyoung. I just made that word up, that's good. Uh, and so he took his maidservant and had a child, and that was a crisis of faith because he was doubting what God was saying to him. And Moses had a crisis of faith where God said, hey, I'm going to use you to deliver my children out of captivity in Egypt, and Moses says, please use somebody else. That's a crisis of faith. He didn't trust that God was actually going to do what God said he was going to do in that moment. You fast forward to the New Testament, and you can see Peter had a crisis of faith. He tells Jesus, I'm ready to die for you. And then they, he denies him three times in a matter of minutes or maybe hours where he had this moment where he realized what he did. It was a crisis of faith that he didn't believe what he said he believed. And then, of course, Paul, too, where you see in Corinthians where Paul says that I had a thorn in my flesh and I begged God to take it from me three times and God said, I won't do it. And so he probably had a crisis of faith in that moment. And that doesn't even mention David, who wrote most of the Psalms you see in your Bible and if you know your Psalms, you know that a large portion of them are laments. They're complaining. They're, they're David saying things in a, in a season of a crisis of faith. In fact, just one that I just pulled up very quickly in Psalm 10:1, David says, why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? That's the definition of a crisis of faith. Because even though God the Father did abandon Jesus in that moment on the cross, he never abandoned David because that's not the character, that's not who he is. So to, for David to feel like he's standing far away and that he's hiding himself, when I need you most, God, in my times of trouble. That's what that looks like, when we have those perceptions that God is not there. 
So you can be encouraged that you're not the only one. In fact, I, was go, I would go as far as to say that your level of spirituality, your level of maturity in your life does not determine whether or not you'll have crises of faith. I believe everybody will. It doesn't discriminate. It's very faithful to come into our lives consistently. And there's reasons for that. One of the biggest reasons is because if you're really wanting to live your life for Jesus, it goes against the grain of everything else in your life. It goes against society. It goes against the enemy of your soul. It goes against your inner man or your inner woman or your inner child. It goes against all of that. You have to purpose in your heart. You, your spirit is transformed when you become a Christian and a follower of Jesus. You're, you're brought from death to life. That's a spiritual uh, act that happens in your life. And you, so your spirit wants to live for Jesus, but everything else doesn't. So when things get difficult in your life, the reaction in the flesh is to say, oh, well, maybe God didn't really mean that. Maybe his promises aren't true. Maybe I'm over-spiritualizing. Maybe I, maybe I don't even know Jesus. Maybe he doesn't really love me. And you start to question that and it can become a crisis of faith in your life. Not to mention the enemy of your soul has it very high on his priority list for you. He has a plan for your life too, you know. God has a plan for you, but so does your enemy. And it's high on his priority list to bring these crises of faith into your life because many people, many Christians, don't come through these crises victoriously. The, the victory is there. It's attainable for all of us, but it's up to you if you're gonna come through it victoriously. And if the enemy knows that if he can get you to doubt your faith, if he can get you to walk in unbelief, if he can get you to feel like you're disconnected from God or he's abandoned you because he hasn't shown up in a circumstance you want him to, that you may walk away. It happens all the time. People deconstructing their faith and walking away from their faith in God, usually because of a crisis of faith. So the enemy's working against you too. There's all kinds of reasons. But probably as, as important as any one of them is that the, the, God's will for your life is for you to help expand the kingdom of God, for you to glorify Jesus and help to build the kingdom, help to the will of God to be done on this earth. That's why Jesus said, when you pray, say, Lord, let your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. And that's what he wants to use us for, that his will would be done on this earth. And for us to be effective for the kingdom of God, it takes a level of depth in our life that only comes from going through trials, that only comes from going through crises of faith in your life. So don't, don't look at someone that's in a crisis of faith and think, oh, they're not spiritual or they're less than you. It doesn't mean that at all. It just means they're on this journey where we're wanting to be more like Jesus and we're wanting to be effective for him and, and God allows these things to come into our life because he wants us to go to that level of depth. You know, depth comes in your life from going through the difficult parts. You know, when you talk to somebody that's never gone through anything difficult in your life, in their life, one of your reactions to that is probably, well, you might not be that deep then because you've never had to go to those deep places to get through the difficult things. The depth in our life comes mostly from the challenges, the struggles, the trials in our life. That's where we get that depth. And God wants that in our life. So there's so many reasons that we would go through these types of things. And I think I could probably safely say that all of us in this room want to be spiritually consistent in our life. We want to be mature spiritually. Not necessarily willing, not all of us are willing to pay the cost, but we all really do want that. We want to be spiritually mature, but this is difficult. And sadly, too oftentimes, we're content to be spiritually sporadic. That when things are going well, then God is good. When things are going tough, God, what are you doing? And we're shaking our fist at the sky. 
That's the tendency too oftentimes. And, and part of the reason that I think one of the biggest reasons is that we are not consistent spiritually in our life is because we spend too much of our energy trying to be consistent externally, to look consistent on the outside, to look how we're supposed to look. I mean, consider this, church. How much of our energy do we spend trying to act like we think people want us to act in life? How much of our energy do we spend trying to figure out how to respond in situations that we think people would want us to respond, to live in such a way that people will think that we're living the right way or a good way or responding well in our situations? We can go years, decades, even lifetimes and not really focus on our spiritual depth and our spiritual maturity because we're giving all of our energy to looking the part and looking the way we think that society or people in our life want us to look. And we're content to, be, uh, to, to just allow that in our life rather than really focusing on having consistency and maturity inwardly, spiritually in our life. And you might be thinking, well, you know, there's just so much that I'm going through. There's so much I've gone through in my life. I've had a tough life. There's a lot going on. Can I tell you today, I, I'm, I'm sympathetic to that. We live in a fallen world. We live in a messy, messy world. Living in one of the most blessed countries in the history of the world, it's still very, very, very messy. And I get it. I really do. But I can tell you on the, on the authority of God's word that there is no situation that can come in your life that you cannot grow from if you respond correctly. There's absolutely nothing that can keep you from growing if you respond spiritually, you respond correctly according to God's word. It doesn't mean it's easy, it doesn't happen overnight, but it's something we can definitely do in our life. You know, I, I heard it a long time ago, I don't know uh, who actually came up with this, well, I heard it from Chuck Swindoll, I don't know if he's the one that coined it, but he said that the older I get, the more I, I see that life is actually only 10% of what actually happens to you, and it's 90% how you respond. And man, the older I get, the more I say that is so true. I think, in fact, I think it's even less what actually happens and more how you respond, because stuff's gonna happen. How we respond to it is the difference between life and death. It's the difference between getting through a crisis of faith and that crisis of faith knocking you off the tracks and causing you to walk away from your God. How we respond to the situations in our life is everything. It's everything in this life. And God's desire for us is that we would respond in such a way that would cause us to grow and not to fall away. In fact, every time we choose, when we come to that crossroads and we're in one of these crises and we come to that crossroad and we choose to go the way of God and not our own way, I believe we come a little, become a little bit more like Jesus every time we do it. It's not this religious thing where you just work hard to do the right thing and look spiritual, but literally I believe God meets us in those places and when we choose obedience, when we choose the way of God, we become a little bit more like him. We start to break those those perpetual patterns in our life of self-destruction. There might be generational patterns in your family of self-destruction and of always making the bad choice, always going the wrong way. And when we make the right choice and we honor God in our choices, even when we're in a crisis, we become more like Jesus and we're breaking those grooves in our brain that cause us to wanna to go the wrong way every time. And God meets us there. And it's challenging, but it is so, so worth it. And so what I wanna do today, I wanna, for my, uh, I wanna give you three points. And uh, these are gonna be responses to a crisis of faith. I've, like I said, I believe how we respond 
is huge in these crises. And listen, this is not some self-help sermon, okay? I'm not here to try to make your life better. The way we respond to these crises in our life, it's not about having a better life, it's about us becoming more like Jesus. And that's why we're here, right? We wanna be more like Jesus. We want answers to life, not so that we can just have a nice, easy life floating along, but so we can be more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the reality is that the power of God, the power of the cross, that brings salvation into our life is that same power that's going, that brings the Holy Spirit into our life that can help us to walk through these crises victoriously, becoming more like him and in turn honoring him and glorifying him and expanding his kingdom. And that's what it's about. So I'm gonna give you these three and, and let me just start by kind of giving you all three of them first then I'll unpack them. But three things, three ways we need to respond when we're in a crisis of faith is that we need to remember, we need to ask, and we need to understand. Now, obviously, this is not exhaustive. There's more things we need to do, too. But these are three things that, uh, just through prayer, that I believe the Lord gave me. And uh, I was telling the first service, you know, there's sometimes you prepare a sermon, and you, you study hard, and you find some good stuff to say, and you put it down, you hope that it sounds good when you say it, and you hope it's from the Lord. And uh, sometimes you can be praying, you just feel like the Lord just gives you stuff, just kind of downloads it almost. And that's how I felt this week. So I'm, I'm excited about it, and I believe that it is a word for you guys, and I believe it will uh, encourage you and challenge you no matter where you are in your walk of faith right now. So first we start with remembering. When you come into a crisis of faith, we have to remember the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God. Remember all these good things, but I wanna specifically talk to you today about remembering that sometimes darkness gets an hour. Sometimes darkness gets an hour in our life. Anyone here waiting for anything from God right now? I am. In fact, I, if you love Jesus, and you're living for Jesus, chances are you're waiting for something from him. I, I think that's healthy. I think that's a, that's, a, that's a sign of maturity in our faith is that we're believing God for something, that we're waiting for something and believing him for something. And sometimes in that waiting, it can actually feel like darkness. Not always, sometimes we can wait patiently and it's easy, you know, when you talk about waiting patiently on the Lord and you have those days where it's like, yeah, it's easy today. And then other times it's like, God, where are you? And it's hard and it can feel like darkness in our life. And sometimes darkness gets an hour in our life. Now let me be very, very clear. When I talk about darkness, I'm not talking about sin. I know oftentimes darkness in the word is synonymous with sin. This is not the darkness I'm talking about. I'm talking about that feeling of like, uh, of like a disconnection from God. Like you're waiting for God, but you almost feel like he's not paying attention. Or you're, you're waiting and you kind of feel like uh, he's not concerned about it, or maybe he's forgotten about you, or something like that. There's a, there's a darkness that can come in in a situation when we feel like we have a desperate need for something and God's not there in that moment doing it the way we want him to do it. And he allows that darkness to come into our life. He allows that, those seasons in our life. Obviously, he allows it or it wouldn't happen because there, the Bible's clear that there's nothing that happens without the knowledge of God. Nothing, he's sovereign, he's over it all. Always has been and always will. So any darkness that comes into our life, obviously it's something that he has allowed. And it's not necessarily because you have some deep sin that you need to repent of. Sometimes it is. Sometimes you just have some sin in your life and you need to repent and turn from it so that God can meet you. But other times you're doing everything you know to do and yet it still feels like there's this darkness, like there's this void and there's this lack of concern on God's part and it's almost like he doesn't understand. Like, you know, have you ever found yourself saying to God, God, hello, do you get it? <laughs> I really need this now. <laughs> yesterday, uh, and, and it can feel like there's a darkness, and sometimes it'll get a minute in, in our life. But it is imperative that we understand 
This is how you get through these crises in our life victoriously. First of all, it's remembering and understanding that it won't last forever. God allows darkness, but as we walk faithfully with him, he does not allow it to last forever in our life. In fact, the psalmist even said in Psalms uh, 30, I think it is, that though the sorrow may last for the night, what comes in the morning? Everybody knows it. We all love that verse. We love the second part a lot more than the first part. But sorrow lasts for the night, joy comes in the morning. That is, that's not a literal uh, verse. It's not to be taken like, oh, if you're sad at night, the next morning you're gonna feel great. That's not what it means. It's talking about seasons, that there's a season in your life for sorrow, but that season will end and joy will come. Joy will come again. And we need to be reminded of that. And if you're in a crisis of faith right now, it's easy to feel like, oh, it's just never gonna end. It's gonna be this way for the rest of my life. I'm gonna feel this way. I'm gonna feel disconnected from God for the rest of my life. It doesn't matter how hard I try. It doesn't matter how much I read my Bible. It doesn't matter how much I pray. It doesn't matter how much I go to church. It doesn't matter how much I give to the church. It doesn't matter what I do. I'm just gonna feel this way forever. I can just feel it. And you can even be an optimist and start to feel that way when you're in one of these crises in your life. I'm never gonna be happy again. I'm never gonna have the peace of God in my life again. There's just, I haven't felt it in so long. I can't imagine it ever coming back. The joy's never coming. I'm never gonna have friendships like those friendships I just lost. I'm never gonna have a church like the church I just had. I'm never gonna have the health that I had before. I'm just gonna continually be sick for the rest of my life. It's never gonna get better. The doctor's diet prognosis is horrible. And we start to feel like this darkness in our life is just never gonna go away. But on the authority of the word of God, we have to understand that it does not last forever. In fact, in my text verse, it says that darkness started at noon when it should have been the lightest and went till three o'clock. Okay. Now I realize literally I said darkness gets an hour. That's three hours, but we're not talking literal here. And I am not, let me, let me be clear here too. I'm not comparing the darkness we encounter in our life with the darkness that fell when Jesus was on the cross. Okay. I'm not doing some isogetic thing here where I'm trying to make the cross about us and our life. That's not what we're doing. That was, that was for Jesus. That was for the sin of the world. You're not in darkness because God's putting the sin of the world on you. Okay, that's not what's happening here. But there are principles here that we can understand, that we can see the character of God even, and how God works even in our life too. In fact, if you look at Luke's version of the arrest of Jesus, when he got arrested when he was going to the cross, you see something very interesting here in Luke 22. Let me read this. Starting in verse 52, it says, Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officer of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts and you did not lay a hand on me, but this is your hour when darkness reigns. Jesus is telling them, showing them, revealing to them, darkness is here now because of you and it's raining for a minute, but it's only gonna be an hour because light's coming. And, and church, I just believe with all my heart that that's for us too. I just believe it with all my heart. Jesus was God incarnate, was the son of God, Yet God allowed darkness to come into that situation. And here's the deal. With Jesus, you see this principle here is that you actually had to have the darkness to have the epic moment that followed it. The epic moment, you know, the, the sins of the world being put on him and our sins being forgiven 2,000 years ago wouldn't have happened if there wasn't darkness leading up to it. Because they had to arrest him, they had to put him on the cross and kill him so that he could die for our sins. So. Is that possible that that's how it is for us too? That for the, the big moments in our life, the times where we've seen 
the glory of God in our life, we've seen revelation in our life, we've seen the, the pleasure and the blessings of God in our life, is it possible that those typically happen after a time of darkness in our life? I can tell you, as I was preparing this and just meditating on it and just thinking through it in my office, and I'm thinking through all the, the major epic high points in my life, and I'm talking having kids, marriage, uh, job, ministry, career, business, every last one of them that I could think of except one had darkness before the moment happened in my life. Every one of them. And it wasn't because of sin in my life. At least I don't think so. And I'm not, I'm not standing up here telling you, hey, nothing good's gonna happen in your life unless it's horrible first. I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. But I also know that the, Jesus said that unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it can't produce fruit. And he also says, if you wanna follow me and live the, the life of being a disciple of mine, you have to die. You have to die to yourself to actually be his disciple. So maybe there is death, maybe there is darkness, maybe there is stuff in our life that typically happens before we have those moments of breakthrough in our life. Every breakthrough I've had spiritually in my life came after a moment of darkness, came after a struggle in my life. So I think there's a principle here that we can look at in our life and say, okay, well, when I'm going through a crisis of faith, the darkness may last for the night, but joy's coming in the morning. And it's not gonna last forever. And we can believe that, we can hold on to that. Because it's when we start thinking it's never gonna change, that's when we start getting down and losing our faith and losing our trust in God and, and becoming pessimists and becoming cynics in life when really God's just saying, just, just trust me in this. Trust me in this. Joy's coming in the morning in your life. The Bible does not promise us that as Christians we'll never go through darkness. Never has and it never will if you wanna read it for what it truly is. In fact, Peter, in 1 Peter 1, he warns us that trials are gonna come our way. He says these trials will come. But then he tells us why they come, which is in chapter one, verse seven. It says these have come, these trials, so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So he allows the trials into our life so that our faith is proved genuine. Your crisis of faith in your life is to prove your faith, not to kill it. Praise God. Somebody should praise God for that, because that's good news. Your crisis of faith is meant to prove the faith, not kill it. Trust God in these times. First Thessalonians, Paul says that God tests our heart. He tests our heart. God tests our heart, church. That may not be the, the gospel, that may not be the God that you've heard about or served or, or learned about in your life, but that's the truth of God's word, that he tests our heart. He wants to know that we're genuine. He wants us to know that we're genuine. And the beauty of a test, everybody hates tests. If you're in school, you hate tests. If you're, you have to take a test at work or online, we hate tests. The beauty of a test is that it's seasonal. It has a beginning, it has an end. A test that never ends isn't a test. It has to have an end. So God tests our heart. There's a beginning and there's an end. It will not last forever. The second response is to ask. I said, remember and then ask. The question, we need to ask a lot of questions, but the, I think one of the most important questions we need to ask is, what is my faith in? I'm having a crisis of faith. What is my faith in? Is it really in God? Is my faith really in the God of the Bible? Is it, or is it in a person? Is my crisis of faith coming because a person let me down? and my faith was really in them? Or is my crisis of faith coming because, I, because of my plan that was perfect 
and had everything ironed out and everything figured out and there's no way it couldn't have worked and it didn't work and now I'm in a crisis of faith. Is it because of my faith in God or is it because of my faith was in my plan? And you might say, no, no, my faith is in God. Well, is it in the God of the Bible or is it in a made up God? Is it in a made up God that is meant to just serve our needs and make sure we never go through any difficulties or trials? Because I can tell you, that's not the God of the Bible. That's a bumper sticker God. That looks really good on a bumper sticker, but there's no truth to it at all. And I can tell you, church, I know that there is a strong pull for us as humans to believe in that God. Because that God is really cool. That God's hip. Like he wears skinny jeans and a tight t-shirt and he's got a six pack and huge biceps, okay? Unfortunately, he doesn't exist. But there is a pull for that. We all want that. Who doesn't want to serve a God that's gonna say, you're not gonna go through anything. If you just love me and serve me and trust me, everything's gonna go good. You're gonna be blessed in everything you do. Everything you put your hands to is gonna be blessed. Nobody in your family's ever gonna get sick. No tragedy in your life. All your relationships are gonna be perfect. Your health's gonna be perfect. Your money's gonna be great. You're gonna be able to have so much money. You're gonna pay off cars and houses and just like, just do everything you wanna do. That's a, that sounds like an incredible God. He, it's just not real. But there's a draw to it, right? There's, I mean, I'm not here to bash churches, but there's churches out there that that's what they preach and they're huge churches because that's what people wanna hear. But it's not the truth. So if you're having a crisis of faith and it's because you weren't able to get the car you wanted to get, your faith isn't in the same God that I'm serving. It's got to be in the God of the Bible, the one that promises us that we're going to go through trials, the one that actually is gonna test our hearts. Your heart's not tested if he gives you everything you want. You don't know how good your kid is if you give that child everything that they want all the time. Seems good until they don't get what they want. And then you feel the wrath of the kid that didn't get what he wanted when he was used to getting everything he wanted. And that's how God, that's how God treats us. He disciplines those that he loves. We're gonna go, I mean, all you see in the Bible is people that went through crisis of faith. That's all you see everywhere. Why would we be any different? It's not about getting everything we want. It's about becoming more like Jesus. It's about loving him more. It's about serving his purposes. It's about advancing his kingdom, not our own. Look, I don't care about my kingdom. My kingdom's worthless. When I die, it's gone. I want to advance his kingdom, not my own. And I can tell you, even reading your Bible doesn't mean that you actually know the God of the Bible, that you really know him. Now, I'm all for Bible study. I mean, I, you know me, I'm a big proponent of... I read this thing every day and I love it. And I believe that it's important that we do this in our life, but some of the people that know the Bible better than most people are the furthest from God because knowledge alone is not enough. You have to couple knowledge with something else. And I'm gonna show you what that is in John 14, 21, the very words of Jesus himself. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my father and I too will love him and show myself to him. In other words, I'll make sure you know me. So you wanna know him? It starts with knowledge and it's coupled with obedience. He says, if you know it and you do it, I'm gonna make sure you know me. Knowing it is not enough. And let me say today, obedience is not enough. You can't obey what you don't know. You have to have both. You have to know it and obey it for Jesus to, it, he says, I will show myself to him. That, that, that phrase there means he's gonna reveal himself. He's gonna present himself. Jesus is saying, if you, if you know the word and you obey the word, I will make sure that you know me. I'll make sure you see me. You'll see me in places nobody else sees me. You'll see me in the traffic jams. You'll see me at your work. You'll see me at home. You'll see me in places that no one else can see me 
if you know and you obey and you trust him. That's what it looks like. So does that mean if we walk in obedience, we'll never have a crisis of faith? Of course not. We learn obedience by going through crises of faith. Jesus did too. Don't believe me? I know you think Jesus didn't have to learn obedience. He was God. Hebrews 5.8 says, although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who will obey him. We learn obedience in our life through the difficult times in our life. That's how we learn to obey. Obeying when things are easy is easy. I was saying in the first service, if I, if I told my kids, I said, hey, I want you to set your alarm for five o'clock in the morning tomorrow. And they were like, why? Well, get up. I want you to get up because we're gonna go to Carowinds all day and ride roller coasters and I'm gonna give you pizza and Coke all day. How many of you think they'll be up at five o'clock? Mm-hmm. Probably 4.50. But if I come to them and I say, hey, I need you to set your alarm, get up at five o'clock because you're gonna help me and mom do some housework and we're gonna go out in the bushes and pull some weeds. Suddenly, they don't feel so good. Suddenly, the pollen is terrible outside, Dad. I'll have an allergy attack. I don't know how I'm gonna survive. It's so hard. It's been such a hard week at school. You hear every excuse in the world. But you know when you really grow, you know how you grow, though, between those two scenarios? is actually getting up at five when you know you got housework to do. You don't grow when you get up at five to go to Carowinds or Six Flags. You grow from the difficult situations in life. We grow from obeying when things aren't as easy to obey. And it's also where you find out who you really are. Okay, third and finally, and I gotta move quickly here. The last response is to understand. Understand that there is purpose in the pain. There is purpose in the darkness, you could also say there. You know, the Bible says to get understanding. The Bible tells us, in fact, in the, the book of wisdom, which is the book of Proverbs, tells us that even if it costs you everything you have, get it. That's how important the Bible tells us wisdom and understanding is in our life. So when we go through a crisis of faith, it's important that we understand. And understanding doesn't just come from, well, I'm a Christian, so of course I have to, I do understand. No, you understand by making a choice to pursue, to understand truth. We have to, we have to uh, Jesus, when he talked about end times, he talked about let the reader understand. You have to make sure you're consuming this, taking it in and understanding. And one of the things you'll understand as you understand the word is that there's purpose in the pain that comes into our life. It is not purposeless. I hope that you believe that today. Jesus, there was purpose in Jesus' pain. We know that. It was purpose for us. But there's also purpose for you in your pain that comes into your life. I can tell you today, Jesus did not come to this earth and die on a cross and rise, raise from the dead to take away all your pain and discomfort on this earth. I know that might fly in the face of some of what you believe, but I'm telling you, he did not, it, well, if he did, he was a miserable failure. If that's why he did it, he was a miserable failure because every one of us in this room, bar none, have had trials and difficulties and trauma and negative things that have happened. So if he died so that that would all be gone on this earth, he failed. He didn't die so that we would have no pain, no discomfort on this earth. He died so that the pain and discomfort we have on this earth would not be without purpose. There's a purpose to those things we go through. Listen, the pain and discomfort, trials, darkness, all of those things in life, that stops when we get to heaven. And we look forward to that day. We praise God that that day is coming. 
and that we will be with him. And when we're in eternity, we don't have to worry about any of this ever again. But until that day, there's going to be those things in our life. And Jesus's death and resurrection and his spirit living in us gives purpose to those things in our life. Now, is there times he takes away the pain, that he brings healing, supernatural healing in situations? Absolutely. We praise God for that and we believe for that and you should believe him for that. You should ask him for that and hope for that. But that can't be the sole response from God for you to be able to be happy. If the only answer to your situation is God, you have to take it away, then you're gonna constantly live in a perpetual state of crises of faith, constantly. Because even when he, if he heals you of, of something, heals a relationship, there's 16 other things that are in your life that he didn't supernaturally heal in the moment. So there's always going to be those things in our life. He didn't come to, take, to get rid of all of it on this earth, he came to give you purpose in it so that you don't have to do it purposelessly. Is that a word? There are a lot of scenarios in the Bible that talk about purpose and the pain. Not specifically like those exact words, but where you see that people's issues that they had in their life, was, there was a purpose to it. And I can't mention every one of them today, not even close, but I'm gonna mention one quickly. And it's probably the most popular one. It's the one we love so much. It's a, it's, it's a bumper sticker. It's something you probably haven't scribed on your Bible even maybe or somewhere in your home on posters. But it's the, chap, it's the verse in Romans 8:28. It's easily one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. Such a beautiful, beautiful promise that comes from it. The, the difference is there was a clear distinction in this that we have to see too. So Romans 8, 28, many of you have it memorized, says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. Praise God. Thank you that he works good in all things. So there's four things we see in this that are distinctions, okay? The first one is that in all things. Everyone say all things. All things he works, okay? So we know in every, there's no things that he doesn't work in. All things, God works. That's good. I want God in all the things. So God works, not just somebody else. In all things, God works. And three, the good. These first three are wonderful. In all things, God works the good. What, a, what an incredible promise. Now, I wish the verse stopped right there because that would just be a blanket statement that in everything, it doesn't matter what it is, God's gonna work for the good. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on to the fourth thing, which is the distinction that is that he works for all things for good for those who love him. This verse is not a blanket statement that God's just so darn loving that no matter who you are, what you're doing or how you're living, he's gonna work the good in it. That's not what this verse is saying. It says for those who love him. And let me tell you, the biblical love that this verse is talking about is not just an emotion you have that, yeah, I love Jesus, and when I sing about him, I get teary-eyed. It's not just that. This kind of love is a devotion. It's an obedience. If I take you back to John 14, where Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. If you love me, you will keep my commands. If you love me, you will obey my commands. You will live for me. You will lay down your life and live for me. That's what the love is that he's talking about here. So I'm not, I don't think I'm doing too much violence to the scripture to say that it actually could say that we know in all things God works for the good for those who love him and obey him and live for him. Now that narrows, the, narrows down a little bit, doesn't it? Because it's not just every situation, no matter what, God's gonna work for the good. It's for those who love him. If you want, if you want the pain in your life to have divine purpose, it's got to be because you love him. Don't, if you're in a crisis of faith, don't complain about this crisis you're in if you're not obeying Jesus. 
If you're not living for him, you can't complain that it's not going your way or that you don't even see the good or you don't understand how anything good could come out of this. We cannot just do whatever we want, step away from obedience and faith in Jesus because we're going through this crisis and expect that everything's just gonna be worked out for our good. Because it works out for good for those who love him, for those who are committed to him, for those who live for him and have denied themselves and picked up their cross and are following him. That's who he works the good in every situation. And if you are doing that, then you can stand on it and know no matter what's going on here, God's gonna work the good. If, God, if it ain't good, God ain't done. You heard that before? That's the Southern version of that verse. If it ain't good, God ain't done. That's the really Southern version. If it's not good, God is not done in this situation. Now, does it mean it's gonna be good the way you want it to be good? Not always. When you, if you lose a loved one too early that you didn't think should have died, the good in that is not necessarily that loved one's gonna be raised back to life so you can be with them, but he's going to work good in it. If you'll trust him and if you'll love him, if, if, you, if you are going through a crisis of faith because of loss in your life, something like that, and you start to feel like it's never gonna be better, nothing ever is gonna be good, you need to remember and understand and, and ask yourself who your faith is in and also understand that he's gonna work the good in it, that you're going to be happy again, that you're going to thrive again, that you're going to be able to be functional and you're gonna have peace in your life and joy and you're gonna be able to continue to serve God and live on this earth and be a functional person that thrives and is victorious. For those of us that love him. And what I love is this next verse. In Romans 8, 28, 29, it's not quoted quite as much, but it's beautiful because it answers the why. The reason God works for the good of those who love him. 829, it says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. So God works for the good in your situation, but it's not just so you can have a good time and feel good. I mean, he, he cares about how we feel, of course, but that's not the primary motive. The primary motive is said right here in the very next verse, because we have been predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. He's trying to make us more like Jesus. He's helping us, he's bringing good in our bad situations. He's bringing us through our crisis of faith because he wants us to be more like Jesus. For, for some of you, you may have a hard time believing really believing in your heart that God loves you as much as the Bible says he does, or even as much as people tell you how much God loves you. You might have some, some trauma response where it's hard for you to believe that anybody could love you as much as the Bible says God loves you, that Jesus was actually, you were on his mind when you were on the cross, and, and that God loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you, and you think, eh, I don't know, it just, I don't feel that love. Maybe you've been rejected in your life. Maybe your parents told you you were a mistake, and, and you were rejected by a parent. A parent left you, or a spouse left you or your friends have left you or you were rejected by a boss or a, a pastor or a cousin or you were abused and you just don't feel like you're lovable. And it's hard for you to really consume this idea that you are that loved by God. But even the most shallow Christian knows enough to know that God loves his son a lot, that he loves Jesus a lot. Jesus was very clear on the earth. He said, me and the father are one. There's no distinction. We are we're, we're together, and we know that God loved him very much, and that it grieved the heart of God to even have to send his son to die. We know the love God has for his son. And so when we read that and he says, listen, I'm gonna work the good in your situation if you love me because I wanna make you more like my son, I can get behind that. Even if I don't think God loves me that much, I can believe that he wants me to be more like his son because I know how much he loves his son. 
So I can believe that he's going to work good in my situation, no matter how, how hard it is for me to believe how much he loves me, even if it's just that I know how much he loves his son. To say, okay, I can believe that God's going to work good because he wants me to be more like Jesus. Now, you do need to believe that he loves you that much, too, because that's true. That is absolute truth. But for some of us, it takes, a, takes time to get to that place where you can really just bask in the love of God in your life. But if, if nothing else, just look at that and know, man, I know how much he loves Jesus. And yet he wants me to be like him. That means I can trust that he's gonna take care of me too because of how much he loves his son. God's heart for us is very, very clear that we would respond in these times of crisis in our life. That we would remember that the darkness is not gonna last forever, that he's gonna bring us through it. Ask ourselves, make sure we know that our faith is actually in the God of the Bible. And to understand, to absolutely understand who he is, what he created you to be, understand how much he loves you, understand that, that the, the wisdom that he wants you to have in your life is, is to get you through these situations in your life, that there is going to be purpose in the pain that you're going through in this life. That Jesus' death, resurrection, ascension back to heaven and sending his spirit into you was to give you purpose for his glory and for your good. Praise God. Would you stand with me, please? As we close this, this afternoon, I wanna pray for us. I wanna invite you, if you wanna come pray up here at the altar, you're welcome to. There's no superpower here at the altar, but sometimes it's just good to respond and just lay yourself down before the Lord. But I wanna encourage you today that if you're in a crisis of faith or if you're, if you know you're going to be in one one day, which I think all of us tend to go in and out of them in our life. Sometimes they last for a long time for people, but sometimes it's just in a moment. It's just something that we have to deal with and God brings us through it quickly. Sometimes they last longer. But I would encourage you to respond today, to trust Jesus, to bring you through it, to not let it derail your faith, to not let it cause you to, to walk away or to stay in that place of questioning or stay in that place of doubt and unbelief, but to cause it to, to, to grow your faith and not destroy it, because that's God's heart for each of us. So I wanna pray for you. I encourage you to respond. You can just lift your hands, you can close your eyes if you want, you can kneel at your seat, but let's just receive this today in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you today for your word. We thank you that it is truth, that it gives life to our bones and it gives life to our spirit. God, we are so far from perfect, but God, I thank you that we serve a God who is perfect and the perfection that you are, that that is how you see us as we are hidden in you, as we give our lives to you, as we trust in you, as we have knowledge of you and we walk in obedience, we know that, that you know us and we know you. God, thank you for bringing us to that place. For everyone under the sound of my voice that would call themselves a Christian today, that we know that we are sinners in need of a savior. And that when we gave ourselves to you and we asked you to forgive us of our sins, that it was immediate that you forgave us from what you did 2000 years ago and you brought us into the family of God. And Lord, we don't take that lightly. And Lord, we don't wanna just try to coast along in life, Lord. We want to be more like Jesus. 
We wanna be more like you, Lord. We want the power of the cross to be evident in our lives. Lord, that your kingdom would come in us and through us. God, that we would not stay shallow. If we're shallow in our faith, we would go to deeper places. We know that's your heart for us. And I even know that that's why you allow these crises of faith to come into our life so that we can go deeper. Lord, help us to dig down deeper when those times come and not run off, but to trust in you, Lord, even when we can't feel it, even when it feels like you've abandoned us, when it feels like you've turned your back, when it feels like you don't care. Lord, we stand on your word and know that your word is true, that you will never leave us, never forsake us, that you died for us, that we are on your mind, that greater the thoughts towards us that you have, you know, the numbers of hairs on our head. God, we praise you and we thank you for your incredible love for each one of us. And we rejoice in that today. Do your work in our lives, Lord. Help us to be victorious as we walk through the difficult times in our life. And Lord, I pray for all those here today that don't know you as their Lord and Savior. God, that you would reveal yourself to them even right now. I, I believe you have been revealing yourself throughout this whole time we've had together this morning. If, that's, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I just wanna encourage you the only difference between you and the rest of us is that we, we admitted that we were sinners in need of a savior. That's the only difference. And, and walking away from that sin, repenting of that sin and receiving the forgiveness that is free for all that will come to him. The, the Bible tells us that he won't turn away anyone that would come to him and want forgiveness and to be part of the family of God. The Bible tells us that when we do that, our name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, that we become part of his family, that it is sealed forever, and that we can know that we, that we are loved by God and that we are gonna be with him one day as we live for him. So I encourage you to do that today. Don't leave without making that decision. It's the most important decision you will ever make. It will transform your life. And if you don't know how to do that, or you're uncomfortable, you can come talk to me afterwards or talk to somebody here that you know that can walk you through it. But it's not complicated. It's saying, hey, I know I'm not good enough. I know I need a savior. I really don't wanna be the person I am now. I want you to come in and change me and he will do it because that's who he is. That's how good he is. So Lord, I pray you would do that today in our hearts. Lord, you would transform all of us. If it's, a, if it's salvation we need, Lord, that you would transform us. If it's just growing in you, Lord, that we, you would transform us to make us more like you, Jesus. We thank you for it today. We love you. We trust you. We honor you. In Jesus' precious name we pray. And everyone said, Amen, amen, praise God. Let's give God praise one more time. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord. Praise God.